0: So last summer, um, I was really struggling personally. So it had been um, a really exhausting 16 months of trying to do church online during the pandemic. And as you remember, it was just a a hard and painful and really challenging season um, on so many levels, just personally for everyone and for our world. And so after all those months online, we reopened our doors here um, at St. Peter's for in-person worship. And after a few weeks of being back, I turned to my husband, Jimmy, and I said, I don't like church. Now, it's one thing if you all don't like church. You know, if you don't like it, you just don't have to come, right? And you can still function at your job. You can still teach or practice law or go to school. But if you're a priest and you don't like church like that's a problem and i should be more specific in saying um, it was really more struggling with like worship services of what we're doing right now like the church is the people of god it was more like sort of this form of worship and just for many reasons that whole season was like this dark night of the soul like desolation and it felt like something was dying in me Like it almost felt like, like grief. And I would wake up on a Sunday morning and dread would like be filling my heart. And every week it was like having to throw a party that I didn't want to go to. (laughs) (laughs) And you might remember, it wasn't like everyone was like clamoring to come back. And I remember I was talking with someone from our congregation who I won't name and they said, you know, they hadn't been back to in-person worship um, yet. And so they said, hey, Christine, I know I haven't been back at church. And, you know, early in the pandemic, they had gotten COVID and had just been through a lot. And they said, you know, um, my favorite yoga teacher has a 10 a.m. service on Sunday mornings out on the Hudson Pier. And I've just been going there. It's been really important for my healing. And I was like, I totally get it. And I would be right out there with you if I could. And it kind of set me off in this vocational existential crisis. Like if I wasn't a priest and contractually obligated to be in church on Sundays, would I come? And why, why would I come? I mean, of course, as a priest, I know all of the Sunday school answers to worship God, to hear the word of God proclaimed, to gather with the people of God around the Eucharist table so we can be fed and sent out, you know, all those things. But somehow, while all of those things are absolutely true, none of those things brought consolation to my heart in that moment. So why do we do this? Why do you do this? Why on earth would you roll out of bed on a Sunday morning when you don't have to go to work Get yourself ready maybe try to get the kids out the door if you've got kids get on the subway if you have to come here versus any number of other things you could be doing this morning sleeping in going to a yoga class you know going out for brunch you know all of the fun important amazing things that you could be doing like why do we do this so one thing that i'm like supremely grateful to my parents for i was a pastor's kid so i was forced to go to church every sunday morning it's just instilling this value for scripture, for the word of God, and when I, as I'm an adult, I was about to say when I'm an adult, as I'm an adult, and I'm struggling and I'm certain and just uh, feeling foggy, you know, God's word is like this anchor for my soul. so mary read for us this passage in revelations 4 which was written by the apostle john when he was in exile on the island of patmos this this scene of worship happening in heaven and if you've never read the book of revelation it's like a really bizarre book like there's like four horsemen of the apocalypse there's like trumpets there's like all these weird beasts it's like dragons it's like this kind of crazy story and a lot of times people try to use a revelation as a, a way of like interpreting the political events of the day but really um, that's not the purpose actually of the book of revelation the book of revelation was a pastoral letter from a pastor to a beleaguered and weary and persecuted church that was suffering for their faith because they would not bow down and worship caesar as god that's what the book of revelation is about And this letter was meant to use all these images to evoke their imaginations and to recover a view of reality, reality with a capital R, reality as it truly is, to recalibrate their orientation in such a way that it would impact how they were and how they lived in the world. So we hear in the story, John's taken up to the door of heaven and immediately he's met with this scene of such richness and color and sight and sound and splendor. And it's sort of frightening and beautiful and strange, like all at the same time. It's almost like too much for the eyes and the ears to take in. And he says that at the center of this scene of worship is this throne. It's right smack in the middle of it. This awesome picture of this throne, and the throne denotes the sense of authority and power and splendor and majesty. But, you know, he's not just talking about an ornate piece of furniture, right? It's not about the throne itself, but rather it's about what it symbolizes and represents. It represents the one who is seated on that throne, the king of the universe, the Lord who sits on that throne and the impact, the effect that this king is having on all those around him, everything around him, worship. So you've got these sort of weird forward living creatures and these creatures function like divine worship leaders in this scene. So they're like covered with all these eyes and you know, eyes represent vision and sight and attention, alertness. And so what they're saying is like nothing escapes their vision they see as it really is, and so they see God as God really is, and that's why they never cease to worship God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Some commentators think that these four living creatures represent basically all of creation. You know, they're representing all of creation, responding to God as its Lord and creator, and when I say creation, And i mean not just physical nature but all of creation every aspect of it think of like our schools our families our governments the nations the marketplace every arena of creation worshiping god and what this vision did was it reminded these early christians of who is actually seated on the throne of the universe of their and of their lives it was not caesar It wasn't the Roman Empire, it wasn't the systems that they were a part of, maybe in our world, not the President of the United States, or Vladimir Putin, or Donald Trump, not my boss, not the kids in my class, not my past, my present, or my future, or whoever or whatever it is that I perceive has the power to impact my world. And it's like god you know help me to see reality as it truly is and not as i perceive it to be with you at the center of all things and help me to respond to that reality rather than some kind of false illusion of a god this one seated on the throne as the apostle paul says in colossians says that he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mean, did, that, did you hear that? Like, did that sink in? We were created by and for the creator who is known to us in Jesus Christ. Saint Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest with you and in you. I mean, how does that land with you? You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I mean, you don't have to agree with this, but that's the claim that's being made here. What human beings are made for and created for. But Jamie Smith unpacks this in his book, You Are What you, you Love, and he writes, to be truly and fully human, we need to find ourselves in relationship to the one who has made us and for whom we are made. The gospel is the way that we learn how to be human. As Irenaeus, the early church father, once put it, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, fully alive, fully flourishing, and fully being what they're made to be and do. So what does that have to do with us here in this sanctuary? What does that have to do for why we gather in worship Sunday after Sunday rather than being somewhere else? And as many of you know, today marks um, September 11th, the 21st anniversary of that day that so many of us remember exactly where we were when we saw those, when those planes hit the tower. And across the country, if you remember in that time, especially here in New York City, you know, people who never darkened the doorway of a church were flocking to churches in droves. And the churches were packed out at that time. Why? Because the world was falling apart and this illusion of our security was shattered. And There was just nowhere else to look but God. And it was this moment of reality, of clarity, breaking through in a time of tragedy, which it often does, if you think about it. And this proud, arrogant nation was driven to its knees and became vulnerable, like a scared child running into the arms of its loving parent. And that song, God Bless America, became almost like a theme song, but not from a place as it often does, a sort of like triumphalist, sort of we're the greatest, you know, God make America the richest and the most powerful nation in the world, but rather, God help us. We need you, we're feeling our need for you. And there's something in us collectively, instinctually that turns us towards our creator, towards the one who on some deep subconscious, unconscious level that we believed could actually help us and bless us and keep us. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. These 24 elders that John refers to. And they're often thought to represent the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles in the New Testament. And so essentially it's representing the whole people of God. And they're casting down their thrones before their crowns before the throne of God. And you know, crowns represent authority and power and control and glory. And what they're doing, if you think about it, is they're taking off that symbol of authority and sovereignty, and ultimate power, and they are laying it down before the one true king. Now, there's this old worship song from, like, the 90s that we used to sing all the time, and it goes like this. You can sing along with me if you remember it, but it goes, um, We fall down, we lay our crowns, at the feet of jesus the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of jesus and we cry holy holy I love that song and when we gather to worship God as a church you know whatever else it may be that's trying to claim our allegiance trying to bill itself as being like the center of the universe what we're doing is that we're joining these 24 elders the whole people of God past present and future we're singing with these saints From across the globe, representing all of creation, and saying, God, we lay down our crowns, we lay down our power, our authority, all that we're trying to control, our glory. And we're saying, You alone are God. And all that I am and all that I have, I worship you with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. And when the world sings that discordant song over us, and just filling our ears with that noise, that's why we need to sing and we need to recalibrate and we need to bring our imaginations back to this image of the one who truly is sitting on the throne of the universe. And it's like this: this the hymn we sang, tune our hearts to sing your praise. You know, maybe our hearts have gotten out of tune during the week, but when we gather together, we're joining in that song and we're tuning our hearts once again to God, not for this hour, hour and a half that we're together, but so that when we go out of this place, that we can then come from that place of singing that song that we take out to creation for the healing of our world, the healing of the nations. You know, we're gonna be just unpacking this theme of worship over the next two weeks. But for now, I just wanna invite you for a moment. You know, If you want, you can bow your heads can close your eyes, if that helps. But I don't want us to leave today without just stopping to reflect on you know, what is it that's been sitting on the throne of my life? What's been dominating my consciousness this week? Maybe what anxiety or fear in this world, in my life, Been just overshadowing me? How have I been just trying to control my world? And what's that crown on your head, whatever that is, or your control, your plan, um, how you want things to go? Just whatever it may be, that authority, that glory, what would it mean for you? In this moment, just cast that down before the throne of God. Let's just take a moment. Maybe you even imagine in your heart, you know, that crown. Just taking it off and laying it in the presence of the one who knows you and loves you. And truly holds you your loved ones and this entire crazy broken hard suffering hurting world We don't have this song in the bulletin but you can just let these words and the song wash over you if you know it you can sing it with me together and we cry Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we come before you and we cast our crowns, our love, our hearts before your throne today. We offer ourselves to you, oh God, in your strong and precious name we pray, amen.